0: If you missed last Sunday, or if this is your first Sunday with us, we are on week number two of our series in First Peter. Now, Cole did a great job last week setting the pace of First Peter for us. He did a lot of work setting the context so we could properly understand why Peter wrote this letter to the early church, and to whom he was writing this letter to. So I want to give you three brief points of recap if you missed that. Uh, missed that sermon last week. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through uh, verse 21. So a huge chunk of text last week. I'm going to give you three brief points t- so that you can understand the context of this so that we can properly understand the sermon this morning, the text this morning, and throughout the rest of this sermon series. But the first thing that we need to know and remember is that Peter wrote this letter to the elect exiles in the dispersion, the early church. This is who he wrote his letter to the early church in Rome. Now, the early church was experiencing intense persecution of all kinds. There was social animosity against them. People were being crucified. People were being imprisoned. People were being forced into the Colosseum and were being devoured by wild beasts. They were being, their jobs were being taken from them. Their rights were being removed. This church was experiencing troubles and trials and sorrows of many kinds. So we must know that Peter is writing to a church who is suffering. The second thing for us to remember is that Peter wrote this letter to exhort and to encourage the Christians who are being persecuted, that though they've been grieved by various trials, that they must remember and know that they are being refined and purified so they may be found to bring praise and honor to the glory of the revelation of Jesus. He's saying, I know that you're suffering. I know that life is hard. I know it's difficult, but know that God is at work in this time. In the midst of this suffering, God's hand is refining you more precious and more purely than that of gold and silver. He wants them to find comfort in that. And the last thing that we must remember, and we're going to see this theme over and over and over in 1 Peter, is that Peter fixes the eyes, hearts, and minds on the forgiveness God has given the church both then and now. And he did this not with gold or silver that can perish. He did this with the perfect and pure blood of Jesus that we have been granted forgiveness by God. We have a new identity as the people of God. We are now born again creatures who have been forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So those three brief points of, of recap there, right? It's not exhaustive. We looked at a whole lot of text last week. But that's, that's a little chunk of the, the, the golden strand that Peter put through his, this first part of his letter. So this morning we're going to pick up from verse 21, and we're going to start in verse 22. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, go ahead and turn to those. If you don't, uh, we're going to have it on the screen behind me and the screen in front of me. If you are able, would you stand as we receive the word of God together? 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that I preach to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long For the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if, indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of God, brothers and sisters. It is true. It is good. You may be seated. Father, in this moment, as you are sustaining the universe, as you are sustaining the things that make up our bodies, would you be present with us and near near, to us this morning by the power of your Spirit, Would you help us in this time as we look to your word, not to change your word, but to be changed by your word? We need your help to accomplish this because we do not have this power on our own. So be near to us this morning. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Transform us and change us as a result of our time here together on a Sunday morning. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of his spirit we pray. Amen. I came across a video earlier this week, and it was of a a runner. This runner's name was Johnny Brownlee. Now, Johnny had been running a long, long race. He had 700 meters of this race to go when all of a sudden, his severe dehydration began to set in. He became disoriented. He began to stagger. He began to look in pain because he surely was in pain. He covered 200 more meters in this state of staggering around, of walking the wrong way, of drifting to the left and drifting to the right, he was in serious trouble. When all of a sudden his body would not allow him to go any longer, the look of defeat and the look of pain and the look of disappointment came across his face. He didn't know what was going on. He wanted to continue, but he could not continue. When all of a sudden an arm hooks around Johnny's arm and begins to carry him, It's the arm of his brother, Alistair. Alistair hooks his brother by his side and carries him 500 meters to the finish line. And right before they cross the finish line, Alistair pushes his brother Johnny ahead of him across the finish line, finishing before him. Alistair set aside, he was a world-class runner. He set aside a sizable cash prize, and he, he set aside finishing in the place that he should have finished if he had not stayed and helped his brother. This is not a vague, ethereal love. This is a brotherly affection that leads to action. In his moment of need, Alistair helped his brother. He could have ran past him. He could have kept going, but he knew that his brother needed help. And because he had affection for his brother, he showed his love with action. Now, this is an awesome story. This is a true story, in fact. I'm not making it up. But there's a truer and there's a better story about a man who came Who climbed the hill of Calvary with our dead bodies, lifeless, dead in our trespasses and sins. And he put us around his back and he carried us up the hill of Calvary and pushed us across the finish line of eternal life. What Peter wants us to see this morning is that a response to the goodness of God, a response to Christ's sacrifice, leads to brotherly love. And it leads to love of the will. The word love here is used a couple of times, and in fact, Peter is talking about two different kinds of love here this morning. Now, a simplistic reading of this passage would probably render some theological in- in- inconsistencies in our mind, right? We see in verse, the first part of verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Uh, that has, if you kind of sniff around on this, this text, you're going to say, that kind of has the smell of works-based righteousness here. What's going on, Peter? Well, we've got to do a little research here. We can't, we can't just read this one part of this one verse in the vacuum of the Scripture. We can't even read this verse in a vacuum of Peter's entire letter here. We see in verse 2 that Peter says salvation comes according to the foreknowledge of the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. In verse 22, Peter is, is not saying that that it's all because of your obedience that you've been saved. No, he, he's rooting brotherly love, brotherly affection, with the identity of having a purified soul. He's saying Christians receive the power to love one another instantly whenever they've been transformed and regenerated. Peter wants the early church to know, and God, by the power of his spirit this morning, wants us to be mindful of the fact that when God transforms our hearts by the power of Jesus... Our hearts know, don't just have a pipeline of affection aimed towards him, but our hearts have pipelines of affection that are aimed towards one another. Right? This is why the statement like, I love the church, I love Jesus, but I really don't like the church, don't make any sense. Right? Growing up, um, my last couple years of high school and my first two years of college, and about my first two years, I mean my only two years of college, it was really popular with the people that I was coming up with and in the community that I was a part of. Uh, to say things like, I love Jesus, but man, I hate the church. I love Jesus, but Christians, I could care less about them. I love Jesus, but I have no use for the organized, gathered church. Statements like this are foolish, because it's impossible to love Jesus and not love his people, right? Think of it this way. If you came into my kitchen on a Wednesday night, a community group, and you said, Andrew, man, I love you. I'm so glad that you're at Frontier. I'm so glad that you moved from Texas, to Des Moines. I'm so glad that you're in my life, but I've got serious beef with Tracy. I've got serious problems with your wife. I love you, but I don't really care for you. I'm going to stand back, and I'm going to look at you sideways and say, then you don't love me. You don't love me. If you don't love the, the, the woman that I am one flesh with, then you don't really love me, in fact, because she and I are one. You cannot despise Christians And love Jesus. That is an inconsistency that's incompatible with salvation. If you love Jesus, you're gonna love his bride. Jesus came to rescue and to redeem his bride. He gave himself up for his bride. So you better believe that once he saves you and grabs a hold of you, you're gonna love his bride. You're going to. Now, there are many different words in the original language that the New Testament is written in Greek for the word love. Right? We see here, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, then we see Peter go on to say, love one another. Love one another. Well, what, is this, what does this mean? That Well, we've, we've got a word love here, and then uh, since you have been born again, we see these things, to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. What is, what's going on here? seems kind of redundant. You have devoted yourselves to sincere love, therefore love one another. What's that mean? The word that, that Peter uses here. In verse, the first part of verse 22 is Philadelphia, this brotherly affection, an emotional investment into, uh, into your brothers and sisters. Right? We've got a, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Right? So Peter's talking about when you have been redeemed, you have been given affection for one another. You've been given affection for God's people. And since you have that affection for God's people, since you have that emotional investment in God's people, love them. The word love here that he uses in the second part of verse 22 is agapeos, which means a love of the will, that you willfully and actively show your love. Your love doesn't stay general. It doesn't stay emotional, but it moves on and it takes on flesh. We could define the second use of the word love here as saying uh, this, to delight in, to treasure, to set store upon, to manifest generous concern for, to be faithful towards, to set store upon. This love is an act of love. It's not just an affectionate love. This love is not ethereal. It's tangible. If you have sincere emotional investment, if you have a sincere affection for the people in your life, you're going to manifest that affection with action. Right? I love my wife, and so I don't just say, Tracy, I love you, and then never show her how I love her. I don't just use my, I just want you to just use lip service and say, Tracy, I love you. I, I manifest that love for her with action. Right? You, we see this. If you love your children, you're going to take care of your children. You're going to manifest that love for your children. Peter wants the church to manifest that love and that concern for one another. Now, we, we, we under, if we understand that there's some, some deep and painful suffering going on in this early church, why the heck is Peter giving them some commandments, right? He should be giving them some pats on the back, some attaboys, good job, you guys keep persevering. Why does Peter find it necessary to remind them to love one another? Why, why is he doing that? He's doing that because they are suffering, and in their moments of need, they need to be mindful of their love for one another and to show their love for one another. I, I don't know if, if you've ever had a bad day. And uh, you've not treated your kids as you ought to have. I don't know if you've had a bad day and you've not loved your spouse with your words. I don't know if you've had a bad day and, and you don't want to interact with anybody in your life. You would rather go away and not manifest any love for them. Right? Peter knows that this is human nature, that we have a tendency to, in times of trouble, to not love one another. This, this happens. So we must be mindful that in our sufferings we must love one another. And Peter says, you've got to do this because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Again, he ties love with the identity that they've been given. Born again people love with born again action, affection and action. It happens. It's rooted in our identity. It doesn't come before we've been given this identity. It comes after and with this identity. On August 11th of 2012, I received a new identity. On that 11th day of August, I received the identity of husband. In that moment, whenever I said I do, I received an affection for my wife unlike any affection I've ever received before. And it came from this identity. It came from this identity. I now had a, a sincere and deep affection that burned more intensely than any affection I have ever experienced and that I will experience. Whenever I covenanted with tracy and i want to seal those words with with my covenant i promise to her to sacrifice for her i promise to die for her and to fight for her and to cherish her and to love her i did i do this and i did this because of the identity that i have as her husband there are specific and important types of love that overflow from certain identities You love your brothers and sisters in a a way that's different than loving your mom and dad. You love your church members in a way that's different than loving your spouse. You love your, on and on we could go, but love overflows from identity. Peter is saying, church, I know you're suffering. Remember that you've been given a new identity, and as a response to that new identity, you've been given a new set of affections and a new set of actions. Don't be content, don't be content with just having affection. Don't be content with just emotionally caring for one another. Don't just be content with the warm and fuzzy feelings that you have for one another. Manifest that love with action. Manifest that love with action. And we, we get the greatest picture of this from the triune God. God didn't talk, have, a, have a conversation with Jesus and say, Jesus, you know what? I wish there was a way to save these wicked people. I wish somebody would come up with a plan to take care of these people, to to transform their souls, to bring them from death and into life. No, he said this. He crafted a meticulous plan, a plan that spanned the course of generations and centuries. In fact, it was from before the world's foundations were laid that God crafted this plan to save his people. He manifested his affection for his people with action. And Jesus didn't say, Father, you know what? That's a good idea. I wish somebody would be obedient to that plan, obedient to that will. No, Jesus didn't say that. He was obedient to the will of the Father. He came to earth, he took on flesh, and he gave himself up. He sacrificed himself. He gave up his body and he poured out his blood so that the people of God would be redeemed and transformed. And the Spirit didn't say, yo, that's a great idea. I wish somebody would sanctify these people. I wish there was somebody that could fit in with this plan and who could come after Jesus, ascends back into heaven and inhabit the hearts of these people. I wish somebody would do that. No, the Spirit inhabits His people. The Spirit intercedes for the people. You see, God does not have just an ethereal, vague love for his people. He has an intense and specific and deep and earnest love for his people that he manifests with action day after day after day after day. His love and his mercies are new every day. Peter says, this is why you are to love one another. Your hearts have been purified, therefore love with pure hearts. Your hearts are no longer impure. They are pure. They have new affections and they have new actions. But this is where the rubber meets the road in our lives, is it not. Right? We know we're supposed to do these things. I, I, I bet if somebody came up to you, whether it be a neighbor, coworker, family member, or friend, and they said, Do you love your church? Do you, do you love your church? Do you agape your church? Do you love your church with, with your will, with your actions? My fear of myself at times and for our church is that uh, we would say, yeah, I have Philadelphia in my church. Yeah, I have affection for my church. And they say, no, 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 no. Do you love your church? Do you, how do you manifest your love for your church? And you say, well, I, I have affection for my church. That, that's the fear I have of myself, that I would have this affection for the people of this church and not manifest that affection with action. And this was not something that Peter was, was unfamiliar with. Remember, this is the same Peter who was a disciple of Christ who walked with Christ. This is the same Peter who denied Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. This is the same Peter who, after Christ had been crucified, buried, and resurrected, interacted with Jesus after a fish breakfast. He had this interesting conversation with Jesus. Jesus is restoring Peter back into good standing with, with him in their relationship. And we see an interesting conversation take place. Now, some scholars and some theologians think that what I'm about to say, what I'm going to talk about here, is that the words for love here are not significant. They're, they're not significant. But there are other scholars and theologians that say there is significance here. And I, I find it compelling that there is significance in this interaction with Peter and Jesus and 1 Peter because the words are similar, they mirror one another. In this conversation, Peter said, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, I Philadelphia you. I love you. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me with your will? Yes, Lord, I Philadelphia you. I have affection for you. I have care for you. Peter, do you Philadelphia me? Do you love me with your affections? Peter was grieved when Jesus asked him the third time. And he said, yes, Lord, I Philadelphia you. I love you. You know all things. You know that this is true. What's happening here is that Jesus is showing Peter that he must love Jesus with all of his being. Not just his affection and not just his actions. Jesus is deserving of all our affection and all our action. Peter wants them, wants the early church to know that we are called to love one another. We are called to love one another. Right? Peter heard this from the lips of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. That the world may see your, they will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. Peter knows that the love of God and the love of church are inseparable. Peter knows that love for one another happens because of their identity. Peter knows that God is glorified whenever Christians love one another. And he wants the church to know this in their deep state of need. Church, Peter wanted the early church to know that in the midst of suffering that they must have love for another. Now, no one around here is getting their heads chopped off. No one around here is being imprisoned. No one around here is being lit on fire. No one around here is, is experiencing intense persecution because we love Jesus. That happens all over this world. It does happen. That's not happening here. That does not mean that suffering doesn't exist in Frontier Church. I know that there are people in this room who are, Longing to get pregnant and every month the pregnancy test results in a no. I know there are people in this room who have had miscarriages, I know that there are people in this room who, not, who cannot climb out of the hole of depression and anxiety. I know there are people in this room who are struggling with their work. I know there are people in this room who are struggling with their callings in life, I know there are people in this room who have wayward children, I know there are people in this room who have lost family members recently. Suffering does exist in Frontier Church. A church as small as we are, suffering does exist. We can't be content in those moments of suffering, in those times of need, to just love one another with affection. We have to love one another with action. Right? As, as Peter is closing out this text, he reminds them that the ability to love is, comes from the imperishable seed of God, and that imperishable seed of God is God's word. Grass looks nice. The flowers of grass look nice. And those things are compared to the glory and the power of man. But the word of God stands forever. It does not return void. It does not grow weary. The word of God is powerful. And that brings forth in us the ability to love one another. We must love one another in our times of suffering. We can't just be content with a Facebook message. Of, hey, praying for you. Heard this happen to you? Sorry about that. We can't be content with that. There's nothing wrong with having affection, but what we need to see here in this text is affection and action go hand in hand. They go hand in hand, and you don't just want to be begrudgingly have action and to only do things for people void of affection. It's re- both are required. We see that in our text. We saw that in that conversation with Peter and Jesus, that affection and action must work together in unison. They are the oars that navigate the canoe of love. That sounded weird when I just said that. I'll Strike that from my notes next. Um, but we have to have those things for one another. We have to. If not, we're just going to be treating each other like we're social media accounts and not really doing anything for one another. When people suffer, we, we step in and we take action this, this church is good at this, and we need to not grow weary of doing this. When people have babies in our church, it's, not, it's a different kind of suffering. But when people have babies, we have people who take meals and provide food and, and diapers and wipes and throw baby showers. They take care of one another. They manifest that affection for one another. There was a family in our church who, uh, about a month and a half ago, got stranded. Their vehicle broke down. They were in deep need. They didn't have the money that was required, that they needed to fix their vehicle. And it took no less than one day for people in this church to raise money to get these people their, and their vehicle back up and running so they could bring it back and drive their kids around and go to work and, to be, and use it to be hospitable. This church does take action. It, didn't take, it took less than one day. And get this, Cole and I weren't even the ones leading the charge in this. We were out of town at a conference. It doesn't even require the staff members to step in and to do action. This church shows action. Don't grow weary of doing this. Don't grow weary of doing this because it brings God great honor and glory, and it brings great joy in our lives. Peter ends with some practicals on love. In fact, he gives us the negative of what love is not. He says, don't do these things. What does he say? He says, put away all malice, put away all deceit, put away hypocrisy, put away envy, Put away all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Give some negatives of like, this is what it doesn't look like. So what does that mean? What what does the positive look like? What does love look like? Well, instead of malice and viewing one another with, with ill intent, we view one another as Jesus views us. Right? He's, not, he's not just looking and saying, oh, look at this guy. This guy's going to mess up soon. This guy hurt me in the past, and he's going to do it again. No, we look at one another as forgiven people. If we are in Christ, we are forgiven, and we must look at one another as forgiven people. We put away deceit. We tell the truth to one another and about one another. We put away hypocrisy. We don't expect things out of other people that we aren't willing to contribute ourselves We don't just say we love, we show that we love. We put away envy. We praise God for the gifts and skills and resources that God has given others. We don't covet those. We don't become envious of those. We celebrate that God has given his people a diverse set of gifts, a diverse set of resources, a diverse set of characteristics and personalities. We put away slander. We speak highly of and celebrate the people in our church to those people and about those people. To their face and behind their back. We celebrate those people because they are worthy of being celebrated. Because they are born again. Because God sings over his children and celebrates his children. Because he has transformed them. He has changed them. So we do that of one another. And and the way that we fuel this is that like newborn infants long for milk, we long for the pure spiritual milk. That comes from the word of God. Like a newborn infant cries out at 2 a.m. in the morning, Milk! 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 We cry out and say, God, renew me each morning with your word. Renew me each morning by the power of your spirit so that I could love one another. Right? If you've ever seen a baby who is crazed for milk, like, it is relentless. Babies are relentless in their shrills and their shrieks and their cries and their grumblings. If they could throw stuff at two months old, they would throw stuff at two months old. They long for milk. We are to long for the pure word of God just as babies long for milk. We are to do that because that is what keeps us on track with loving one another. Out of all of this passage, that one is the most, this verse is the most convicting to me. Long Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Again, we can't read this simplistically. Peter is not saying that because you drink the milk, you are saved. He's saying if you desire the milk, it's because you have been shown that the milk is good. Right? Babies taste that the milk is good, and they say, I want more of that. Give me some more of that milk. So when we experience Christ, when we experience his word, we are given a desire for his word, and that propels us and continue, continues us in our path of sanctification. That one day at the end of our lives, God will perfectly glorify us. Not just positionally, but practically. We will live holy lives completely whenever God calls us home. So Frontier Church, love one another. Love one another with affections and actions. Set out a game plan for you to love your church. So that whenever someone asks you, do you love your church with your will? You can easily give an answer to that. You can easily do that. Figure out a way that you can practically, with your resources, with your personality, with your giftings, love your church. Love your church, Frontier Church. God has given us a good thing in our local church, so love your church actively and passionately and earnestly and deeply. Let's pray.